Welcome to the fifth episode of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. This show was recorded at Light Fair from the booth of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. We had some technical difficulties. It was the first time we ever took it on the road. Uh, we lost a show to poor audio. We lost another one because I forgot to press record. But the recording with Robin Watt, who's the president of Nailed, and he's also a sales rep for CN Robinson Supply out of Baltimore, Maryland, along with our old friend of the show, Brady Nemeth from the DLC, was pretty darn interesting. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to put this one out without a highlight reel because, well, I'm a little bit lazy, to be honest with you guys. But no, honestly, I think the podcast is pretty good from start to finish. And I, I don't think there's much to really extract. I don't think it, it would shorten it very much. So without further ado, I give you my co-host, Greg Eric, Robin Watt, and Brady Nemeth from the Nailed Booth at Light Fair. Hey, lighting freaks. <laughs> we're live. So uh, we're at the we're at uh, Light Fair 2017 to start things off. We got Michael Colligan here, uh, Atlas Lighting. We got Greg Eric from Premier Lighting. Say hi, Greg. Hi there. How's it going? I'm good. How are good. you guys? We got the president of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, and also what's your title at CNR? Account executive. It's account executive for CNR Lighting out of Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. And again, we got a friend of a show back again for a second shot. Brady Nemeth from the DLC. What's up, Brady? Not a whole lot. Well, I'm kidding. There's actually a lot because we're at Light Fair, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Where's Just your booth? Just making small talk. We're actually not very far. We are uh, about three proverbial blocks away from you right over here in the hall F. So. Three blocks. You, you kind of missed out on announcing who the president is. It's Robin Watt. Did you not oh, say the president. Of, oh, yeah, we're also <laughs> guys. We're also in the booth of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. But before we before we get into the conversation, I'd like to say that this this podcast is brought to you by nobody. <laughs> 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 and I think I was just Greg and I have been wondering, uh, Robin, if the board of directors has considered sponsoring the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Actually, we have. Um, we're very excited about the prospect. Uh, we need to nail down a couple of things. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, too easy. No, uh, actually, we are very interested. We think uh, I've described Colligan as a force of nature. He knows this. I think he relishes the title. But uh, we think you'll do good things with this, and we're actually pretty excited about it. Oh, we're live lighting freaks for phase two here. We had it already pinned down that Robin Watt had uh, says the board is very interested in um, moving this podcast forward. You know what I think, honestly? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't hear anything. (laughs) I think it still might be recorded. (laughs) I think he has the audio, so we can... The audio is available, so don't even try it. Yeah, no, we are excited. But you know what's interesting about that is that I think distributors need a bigger voice, and I think it came when when we talked to Brady and when he was at the convention... Um, I think it came forward that uh, distributors and contractors have been largely ignored in the process of Brady and to no one's fault really because we're not the loudest kind of guys. Has the DLC moved anything forward on that? Yeah, actually since the uh, since we had you know talked at the nailed conference we've uh, we've been talking with, with a few folks in nailed and we're kind of in the in the middle of trying to formulate some sort of partnership. Um, so I know, for instance, Greg sitting across from me right now will be uh, be joining us in Portland for our stakeholders meeting. Um, it sounds like we're going to have a continued presence at the uh, at the nailed meeting. I 
I mean, all the feedback has been great. Just walking the floor in the last day and a half, I've seen a handful of people that I saw it nailed, uh, both uh, vendors, you know, the manufacturers and uh, a couple of distributors. And all the feedback's been really, really good. Uh, I've been trying to convey that as best I can, you know, up the, up the chain. And um, we've made a lot of progress in the last week or two, but obviously everyone's kind of been bogged down with Lightfair. So I think there'll be a, a more solidified partnership here coming up in the next couple of weeks. I, I think that... Um you know, I think that distributors uh, and contractors, I'm going to include them. I know that, you know, Premier Lighting is not a contracting company, but I'm going to bring them in because I think a lot of the those um, entities and those companies have a lot of knowledge to contribute to this conversation, Greg. I mean, would you say that your utility relies on you heavily for information with respect to ut- rebate programs and that yeah absolutely in our market excel energy is one of the bigger ones and they they ask us for input and they usually go to me as one of the first people because we do a lot with the rebate programs and just asking what makes sense and uh and what doesn't and then kind of where we sell items at so that they can help determine what the rebates are that'll that'll fall in line as well so hmm. we do a lot with that. Yeah, we get we get a lot of uh, we provide a lot of feedback as well for ICF, who are the the program managers in our area. Actually, they just took over from uh, Lockheed Martin for uh, the Pepco program. We have about three large utilities. Hang on, Lockheed Martin was running a rebate program. Yeah, they were doing. Yeah, the they're one. Of, they're one of the major major ones. Aren't they, don't they like build like s- the systems for the army and stuff? Yeah, they build bombs and they do energy efficiency programs. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're very much into any program that that requires oversight on behalf of the government. Lockheed Martin. So CNR, how, how does CNR relate to rebate programs? What do you guys like? Do you guys do a lot of rebate applications? Do you leave Absolutely. it to your contract? Or you do? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. very strong in our area. We have two major utilities: Pepco and Baltimore Gas and Electric. They both have very strong, there are a couple of smaller ones as well, Southern Maryland Electric Cooperative, but they all have pretty strong rebate programs. And a great deal of our business has been to help uh, our customers acquire these rebates. So we apply for them, help them get the rebates, and get the checks Do you interact with the DLC every day? Not DLC, but we certainly are on the website. And, and for all part that nailed here, Brady, I, I have to tell you that the feedback of having you at the conference this year has been tremendous. That's fantastic. Uh, so we're very excited to, to have you on board. And, you know, I, I think that's a really interesting point. One of the things, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to participate in the OCC. Was it Organized mm-hmm. Casual Conference? conference? Yeah, I just figured out what that meant after 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good. I got it down after yeah. one year, yeah. so I'm all set. But, you know, one of the things I ask a lot of distributors is, are you guys participating in rebate programs? Are you guys doing it? So I know Robin was one who said, yes, there are some people who try and wash their hands of it a little bit. They don't want to get in that. You know, we've also seen people, you know, even walk by our booth today where they kind of try and be that middleman. So if a distributor if a dis- distributor doesn't want to do it, then they'll be able to, to step in and say, okay, well, I have this big retail company and they want to do it, but they don't want to deal with the rebates. We'll hop in for them. So the sort of problem is, is that that rebate, the incentive, you know, filling out the paperwork, that falls on a ton of different people depending mm. on what businesses say this is in our own interest to do it. If they can see value in it, then they'll do it. But if not, they'll pawn it off to but someone the, else. But the DLC doesn't get involved in the creation of the application systems that the different utilities create. Uh, right, absolutely. They, we, we don't. So everyone can, member or not, I mean, the, the list is publicly available. They can use it however they want. So, for instance, off the top of my head, you know, we had version 4.0 uh, take effect earlier this year after about an, an eight-month delay, essentially. And 
we had a massive delisting on April 1st. That was every, so everything that met 4.0 after for April 1st would stay on. But for instance, PG&E out in California, I think they're the largest utility, they decided, they said, starting January 1st for our program, if it doesn't meet, if it's not going to be on the list past April 1st, we're not going to incentivize it now. So everyone goes and uses the, uh, everyone uses the list differently. Now, do you think there's ever going to be a next step, like a 5.0, or why did it go from DLC to 4.0? What's the significance yeah, of Yeah, so generally speaking, the first first digit there, if that's changing, it's more of a, a structural change to the program, and the second one is usually going to be an addition, so for instance, more primary use designations or m- more options being added. So what happened in 4.0, it was actually the first time we had raised efficacy levels across the board in nearly four years. We had raised some levels here and there, and we had played with the technical requirements table, but across the board, that was the first time we had raised efficacy levels, and I don't think anyone here at Lightfair could tell you that the technology hasn't come a long way in four years. So, But uh, how much further do we have to go? I mean, Greg and I in the last podcast were kind of going back and forth on the future of lighting, and we talked about different things, Li-Fi controls, we talked about you know increased efficiency gains, and so on and so forth. I mean, we already have a 12-watt, 4-foot tube. Mm. I mean, what is it, 120 lumens per watt or something? Yeah, 130, 140. like that. Yeah. I mean, is there a, isn't there a ceiling here? Have yeah, we I mean, not, I, are we not getting close to it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, who, who knows that, that how close exactly we are. You know, that, that remains to be seen. But I think starting last year at our last year's stakeholders meeting that we held out in Denver, we heard a lot of feedback over, hey, maybe let's cool it on the efficacy front. So what we've started doing is we've added things like allowances. So for products that have very high CR, which is naturally going to take away from the efficacy will allow them uh, an allowance basically so that way it's kind of pushing uh, the quality factor a little bit more making sure that the products are staying installed and uh, that'll be a big focus uh, at this year's stakeholders meeting and tomorrow I'm attending a session here at Lightfair that's actually being given by one of our, our members uh, Ed Bartholomew from uh, from Massachusetts uh, I believe he's with National Grid uh, he's giving an incentivizing quality uh, speech so I, I think that it's when you talk about ceiling, I think you're largely kind of inferring efficacy, and I think that's a that's a fair point. Um, so there's definitely other other areas to move forward to make sure that so we're talking are quality. Robust. We're talking quality instead of quantity, right? Yes. So, but the, for, as far as efficacy is concerned, uh, the, one of the keynotes uh, nailed last year was Mark Lean, and he pointed to efficacy is approaching 300 lumens per watt on sort of an individual die level that, and things that, like that. That's actually physically possible now, just not commercially available or marketed. So the point is, it's it's there, that, that's where we can go. Whether it'll be commercially viable to get there is a different question. Well, I think that's the question. For me, okay, first of all, let's assume for a second that these, these LEDs are going to last as long as they say they're going to last, which is a whole other conversation. But let's assume that for a second. I can't go back to a customer and say, hey, pull out those 12-watt tubes and put in this 8-watt one. That's a stretch, man. And like we were talking about the utility cost. If the electricity rate stays, you know, whatever, 5%, 10% a year increase, whatever it is, 2%, some areas, um, I don't think there's a case, a business case for that. Well, think, think back to the 32-watt T8. It's the same concept. Yeah, but how many people went to 25-watt T8? What, 5% of the market? No, uh, no, no. I'd no, no. say we, big we, 28 or 25s, a big we, chunk. We converted a lot of people down, and, and it was largely uh, assisted by rebates as well. So I'll, I'll qualify that statement with that. So you're talking you took a T8 person to a T8 a, a low 32 watt. watt T8 to a 25 watt uh, high, high efficiency T8. 
Um, so you ripped but out, but you're going to rip out no, a working LED no, lamp? Just, uh, the, that no, was, that was done on a replacement basis. It was easy to sell them the, the lower wattage lamp. That was also discussed this year uh, at the nail conference by Mark, where he said, he, he made the point that, that the efficacies are such and the energy savings are such that there's a diminishing uh, return on your efficiency. So the sale is not actually going to be made on efficiency anymore. It's going to be made now on the quality of the product. I don't know. Well, light levels. You're going to lose 30% of your light over the life. At right. some point, you're going to start noticing it. But I think that's MRO. I don't... I oh, Sorry. What's Bro, MRO? Greg and I... Okay. <laughs> we already had this argument about the definition of MRO. Okay. Look, replacement lamp supply. I think that's, I think that's replacement lamp supply. Um, you know, and I think, you know... Okay. Let me ask you this. Can I change gears? Because sure. I, I don't think we're, I'm ever going to come around to the idea that three watts makes a change on a project basis. You're going to have a hard time convincing me of that. It doesn't. And, you know, I would, I would never go to an existing client and say, hey, gosh, man, why don't you save another 3% or whatever, I you know... What about color temperature? Um, we're going to bring on Christian Monrad. He's going to be on episode seven of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. And uh, not to you know kind of take his thunder, but has a, has a DLC thought about color temperature at all? I don't know if that specific issue has come up. I mean, where it would start coming up would be if there are utilities out there who say, whoa, we've seen these studies, we've seen whatever, we're concerned about it we don't want to and then they would come back and then we'd start looking to change the technical requirements and say okay maybe for outdoor pole arm mounted area luminaires we're going to reduce the color temperature you know the bins mm -hmm. but i'm not sure if that specific issue is, has come up by membership i don't or know i i've only you know i'm a i'm a 3000 kelvin guy i hate 5000k i always have for I, out, out indoor and outdoor everywhere everywhere the argument against 3000K was largely a color rendering index ar argument in the past. They couldn't get the color rendering index high enough in... Or the uh, R factor. Yeah, yeah. in HPS and in fluorescent. Like a traditional warm white is like a 52 CRI. But LEDs, it's not, no difference at all. The, the color temperature can be 85 at 3000K. Well, I think that, like I said, that's part of where we're going or where we've been trying to go with allowances because a lot of people were having issues getting the, the color quality that they wanted and still meeting our efficacy levels, whether it be CRI or, you know, just naturally. I mean, technology has gotten to the point where there's not as big of a difference in efficacy when you're going between color temperatures, but for the most part, there still is that difference. So what the allowances can do is say, okay, well, you're going to put in a super high quality, light quality product. Uh, your efficacy is going to be naturally be a little bit lower. We'll give you an allowance because that is a product that's wanted and needed in the marketplace. If you go back to the metaphor of medicine ball, boom, HPS is a medicine ball in terms of reflectance. Boom. Mm. It's the ground. It doesn't re-reflect. These 50K LED streetlights are like Indian rubber balls. Boom. Well, I think, I think the, the color temperature argument, Mike, was more about circadian rhythms and, and yeah, that, that's, that's where that, than, than, than reflectance. Uh, the AMA report was the one that, that highlighted that, that, uh, that circadian rhythm issue as regards uh, cooler white light. I know for a lot so of what the was the, what was the essence of the report then? Did you read it? Well, uh, no, I didn't. Did you read it, Brady? Uh, it was a while ago. <laughs> and what was that? What were they saying? Is that it's going in people's windows and making that them not AMA, sleep? Or? Yeah, I mean, you had IES and lots of other industry groups come back and say, whoa, you're kind of out of your lane a little bit here. We understand the, the complaints about circadian, but there's more that goes into it than just, oh, here's a color temperature, you know, 
there's all sorts of different applications in the way a, a street light can light up a road. And mm. right, if light's going backwards in the houses, that's you know going to be an issue and stuff like just, that. But they're talking about bird migrations. But no, for the ben- <laughs> for the benefit for the benefit of all listeners, this report came out. Uh, I think it was last year, and it was it was discussing the effect of blue or white light on your circadian rhythm and, and interfering with your sleep habits. How's your circadian and rhythm, buddy? Is it my, good? My, my <laughs> circadian rhythm is very good, thank you, sir. But the response that I heard, Brady, and, and from the manufacturers was that the, that blue light, that, that circadian rhythm disrupting light was more apt to come from your iPad or your cell phone right, exactly. in your bed at night or a TV on rather than street lights street bleeding light, yeah. through your window. I think you're right about that. I think I, I, I would say that the circadian rhythm issue is a is is dead on arrival as a just a lighting guy. I think close your curtains, buddy, would be my, uh, you know, if it, I, I, I just don't see but that why do much. that when you can blame someone else? I, well, this is what I mean. But I think there is a real issue in terms of animal migrations and light pollution. I think that's a real issue. I do. I think it really is. And I, I mean, what percentage of the street lights in North America have been converted? I mean, what is it? That, that would probably be the lowest, like municipal street lights would probably be the lowest level of penetration yeah. of LED, I, I think. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? It'd probably be maybe 20%, 15%, 10%. What would be the level of penetration? To the market of, of street lights, you're saying? Yeah, like municipal street lights, municipal. Not I think it's over thirty percent. Is it? It's probably thirty to fifty. So, so if they're saying that this is affecting the migration of wildlife, that's get like, off the roads, wildlife. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> fly over to the left. Well, I mean, they they certainly address that issue with uh, turtles in yeah. I was going to bring up South that's Florida. The, that's the one I've with, heard a lot about. With no animals. pressure sodium lighting, the municip- municipalities are the ones who have to mandate that. Uh, and it's it's in Florida, I know, it's very important. And I, I guess some of the other Gulf states where you, you are not allowed to have higher than a certain CRI because, quite frankly, cool white, you know, the, the moon is supposed to be 4,000K apparently. So, And, and the sun is what, 3,000K? Sun ain't white, buddy. You're right. In my world, I don't know, maybe it's white in yours, Craig. <laughs> Minnesota, does it rise white? It does. <laughs> but hey, what well, we need okay. to get into a little, we're, we're going to do this on Podcast 7. Let's, let's hit, have our light fair here. We're here. Okay, what are we talking about? I mean, I, you've I just, been here for a whole hour. I know. I what have you seen? I set up my microphones, man. I, I mean, I already know everything. I don't need to see anything. Come, on. Come on, man. Get a grip. What do we got? Let's uh, let's go around and see what, what we learned see? so far. How long have you been here, Robin? So far, uh, actually, I've just been I've been through the Phillips booth, and that was it. And then I came here. What did Phillips give you? Phillips have some pretty cool stuff. They have their their new. Not sure what they call it. It's a it's a new recess light that's wafer thin. Very nice. It has an external uh, or remote driver attached to it. Um, Where do you see the application on that? New construction uh, or retro? Yeah, retrofit, recessed, re- where retrofit applications where there's a recess light, maybe in a ceiling that doesn't have a lot of space because of HVAC or, or sprinkler lines or something. But if there's already a recess light? No, where you want a recess light. Right? So, okay. Oh, gotcha. so retrofit. retrofit. You're correct. Yep. If you, you want what to dress about you, up what existence. about you, Brady, from the DLC's perspective? Have you seen anything that's game-changing then? Uh, I think you see a lot of horticulture here uh, this year. A lot of horticultural lighting. Uh, uh, explain, that. Why. Explain, explain that. <laughs> I know what you mean, but explain it. Explain what you mean by that. Uh, I mean... Grow lights. 
Yeah, well, grow, grow lights is certainly one. Are you one talking about one. marijuana? Brandy? We are. We are, are you a pothead? <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> we are talking about the wacky tobacco thing. Is that right? Yes. Well, you know what? The it's it's going to be legal in uh, in uh, in Canada, and the federal government's tackling it. It's not leaving it to the province. Not chickening out like they are in the states. And not to get into that argument on the podcast. I think there's a lot of people that are very sensitive about whether that uh, that's a whole beyond lighting. I think that would turn into a life podcast. Get a grip on life. It's coming out soon. Don't wait for it, guy. Wait it for it. It is an interesting point though because it ad- it is adding a huge electrical load in some of these states and it is you know utilities are looking for how can we how can we mitigate this issue so i think you, you mentioned excel and excels in a few different areas and uh one of which is colorado where it's legal and uh i believe they're they've started incentives for grow operations so dlc is certainly looking in the horticulture for obviously not the sole purpose of don't you think when it glow, grow, grow, when it becomes legal, they'll just grow it in fields? Like as soon as it becomes legal, they'll just grow it outside. Well, I mean, there's lots of research being done right now about how much better you can grow plants with you know indoor in a controlled environment. So I think that's sort of the the argument that's going on right now. I mean that you know I, I don't know enough about the yeah, horticultural market. Not to mention, I imagine a security issue. You want to be able to protect your your crop. From yeah, but again, it's not going to be illegal, right? So. I mean, you're talking about commoditizing it. People can buy a pack of large DeMarlboro spliffs at the local corner store or dispensary or whatever. Well, unlike Canada, the, the sort of this isn't really a lighting topic, but I mean, it's still illegal on the federal level. So I can see a lot of you know, there's an issue a few years back where banks weren't even in, interacting with these grow operations. So I wouldn't be surprised if you see in the lighting market too, where people are, might be hesitant to to deal with them because it's still federally illegal and spending money on that when the feds could come in at any time and shut shut them down i think that's in canada there's a lot of people that are building um extracting machines uh we did a job for um company that ordered a bunch of uh distiller i think extractor and distiller systems so what they do is they take the dope they extract the, the thc the and the cannabinoids and the the other stuff that is good for anti-inflammatory things or whatever, and they then distill it in, they make different products out of it. Um, that's already happening. We did a lighting job for people like that. So there's there's stuff happening. I mean, for me, I mean, if someone wants to give me money to buy lights, I sell them the lights. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, I, I don't get into the, I don't think it's my position as a distributor to be also part of the, uh, what do you guys call it? The alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, um, you know, whatever that ATF. <laughs> I think I just sell lights. I mean, what's it got to do with me? Someone calls up and says, hey, do you know anything about horticultural lights? Yeah, sure, I do. Well, uh, for all you know, they could be growing tomatoes, right? Well, so, they do grow tomatoes yeah. in grow houses in so, Ontario all the time. So. Or tomatoes. Tomatoes, actually, yeah. <laughs> tomatoes or potatoes? <laughs> tomatoes in Minnesota. Oh, there you go. But, but yeah, you're, you're right. And my, my, actually, I'm fascinated with the, the aspect that LED is even good for growing any kind of crop. Because well, we sa- hang on my a understanding second was I think fluorescence better, UV actually. UV... So was was what assisted a lot with it but now they've they've worked or they have workarounds now mm-hmm. that allow led to to do as good or if not a better job than than the traditional light sources are and, and obviously saving a ton of energy in the, in the in the mix how would the dlc do anything with that what are you guys going to do with that that's not a big enough for you uh, you know, that's what we're still talking about now. We've got uh, we've got a discussion session at this year's stakeholders meeting about it. To, you know, like I said, you walk around Light Fair and you see more and more people involved in horticultural. But the, the issue is, is there's a lot of science that's still to be worked out. It's, you know, what are we going to do? Right now we have primary use designations for 
you know, the, the end use. So, so whether it's a roadway light or a high bay or whatever, but what are, how, what is that going to look like for horticultural? That's what we're still working through. Is it going to be, well, if you're growing this type, if you're growing a tomato, you know, you want this many micro moles per joule or something yeah, like yeah, that. You know, yeah. how do, how are you going to, you know, work through that? So yeah, it's the, a, it's the a process. The application so is not static. Right. And it could, right. You might want a different type of light for a different type of grow operation. So it's uh, it, it's difficult. We're working through that now. We're, you know, exploring, exploring. I it also think the 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 concept of LEDs is particularly purpose built LEDs, Greg, um, where there's there isn't this replaceable light source is problematic for growing because the dimming and the lumen maintenance and the long life will the uv decay over time and require replacement lamps and you know this kind of thing i think that grow operations are going to need replaceable light sources i think you're hitting on a bigger topic there with that What's that just the replaceable components in general yeah i mean that's a whole nother thing and that we could go off on but you and know I, I, i've always said my favorite socket is an incandescent socket you love it you can just screw anything you want into it yeah sure. it burns out you screw something else in yeah whatever you that's like that's it <laughs> boom but that's another topic. So. <laughs> In terms of the quality of past luminaires, so you're an emerging professional. I am. Have you emerged? I guess I'm in the process. I don't know. <laughs> According to I, yes, so I'm, in the, I'm in the process. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think I've emerged. I don't know. Greg, have you emerged? I have not fully emerged yet. I, I, I think I need to re-emerge. <laughs> you might need to be submerged, actually. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> I, I mean, so I'm not going to say the, the name of the municipality that's having this problem, but they did uh, a massive street lighting upgrade, and they're having all kinds of problems with rubber seals on the fixtures bursting. They're having problems with uh, lumen maintenance. They're having problems with drivers failing, and it's just not working out the way they thought it was going to work out. Have you guys done any postmortems or any going back and looking at large-scale projects and analyzing them for did paybacks were paybacks realized? Did the DLC specifications work out the way we thought? Have you guys done anything like that? You know, that's really outside of our scope. That'd be more on the utility level. I mean, obviously, to an extent, they figure that it's working worked out because they keep coming back and keep using the list. Um, as far as, you know, one of my main roles at the DLC is taking on the surveillance testing program, which is kicked off in 2017, and that is to make sure, obviously, that a lot of these products, you know, you were mentioning things like maybe a rubber seal gets blown. Obviously, that's not going to get covered in a program like this, but as far as uh, savings or making sure that the, you know, products test the way they do uh, for the test data that's on the QPL, that, you know, they're matched up within a reasonable amount and things like that. So we are definitely working in, the, in that direction. Um, but at the end of the day, we do have to rely on, you know, safety organizations. You know, we, we require safety certification on all of our so products. Like, you're so. talking like Intertech and CSA, and, or, or not CSA, but UL. Yeah, group, yeah groups Standards like that. Association, CSA, there you go. <laughs> But yeah, we uh, you know we rely on other on other groups to stick within their wheelhouse and tell us whether or, or not it's you know quote unquote good enough. Um, but obviously there are other issues, like you said, just uh, longevity of products that maybe not even not even related to lumen maintenance, and that's uh, that's a little bit tougher. And I'm not really sure that's a, a thing that DLC can sort of police. Hmm. 
So you're saying DLC has a tough time with horticulture. Are you still? You want to go ahead? You want to change the gears here or what? No, I, I think we should keep on the light fair topic while we're at light okay, fair. Okay, get back to light fair, man. I don't know, man. You're we, the co-host. We, we cut Robin co-host. off quick. I was trying. You cut him off. Yeah, Anything yeah. else, Robin? You had one little surface mount from Phillips. Yeah, they also have their new 400-watt high bay, which is really nice uh, simply because it's it's the first one I've seen that actually uses the existing ballast. So you have an HID light source, 400-watt metal halide, for example, you unscrew that light. you got to get that ballast out of there, dude. Uh, well, yeah, but if you don't if you don't want to, you don't have to. And that's... that's. Uh, I saw that. That had the uplight around Yeah, the it has uplight that's and nice. downlight. So 20,000 lumens, it's a, it's a nice... It's Most a nice are only And well-priced as well. Yeah. Most are only downlight when you yeah. get into that. Yeah. That's good. So that, that was that was your little Phillips that was tour that, that's so all far, I've really and then you're going so, back. So much so far, yeah. uh, well, I'll get to mine too. Brady, anything else with you? On? No, you know, when I come out here, I'm not really looking at you know specific things. I'm not a specifier or anything like that. So I just try and sort of soak it in and see what's going on. I'm somewhat of a lighting geek, so I like to look at any residential stuff <laughs> I can put in my house and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, I just try and soak in, get general general trends and stuff like that. You know, we've got our stakeholders meeting. We want to figure out what, what are people talking about? What are people doing here? So just, you know, we're, we're really more looking at a general uh, big picture, no specific products or anything. I'll probably Plus, I'd probably get in trouble if I started hawking products. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. No, on my side, you know, I don't really do a deep dive when I'm here. I don't, I don't sit in a booth for more than probably five minutes, but I walk through and I check everything out and just kind of see a general feel of it. And, you know, what, what I'm seeing a lot of is tunable lighting and tunable being color yes. changing uh whether rgb or, or mostly no, within white within white within uh, white, yeah, within yeah. white yeah. Yeah. 3k to 5k and in yeah. between and then also um uh light changing or, or lumen uh what am i looking for not dimming but in a way dimming high-end trim Lumen-ons. or something where you're setting it lower yeah yeah you can have different settings on the fixture you can um that's a niche market though I don't know if it is because, you, you know, what, what it's going to come down to is you're going to do one two-by-four troffer. And now, but who it's really for is for the distributor. Stock one part. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's going to be anywhere from 3,000 lumens to 5,000 lumens and 3K to 5K. I don't know that I don't know that I agree with you that it's just for the distributor. I think it's a benefit, obviously. But, but uh, how many end users do you think care about changing them? I mean, maybe initially... But then after that, are they ever going to change the Kelvin? Set temp? it and forget it. it right. Well, if if you make it easy to change it, they will. The idea behind it uh, that's being presented here, at least, and Philips did come out show us their tunable white uh, stuff. You can uh, in a classroom environment, for example, or a meeting environment, you can dial back, you know, dial back the the color temperature uh, based on what you're looking for. So, for a collaborative environment, you might want, I don't know warmer white uh, whereas for something that's more focused you might want to dial it, dial it up to 5000k are you talking about a control that's on the luminaire y- yes, or are you yeah, talking about a control co- system no no right. luminaires luminaires that are that will change color temperature well right but um, I mean where is that because it sounds like you're talking about you know you get one part in and maybe it's a hidden on the back of a trough or something and you as a distributor can change the color temperature but essentially it's you set it up there, and the end user's not going to well, know where it I'm, is. I'm kind of touching on both. Okay. And, and so, yeah, like what you're saying, Robin, is I, I think the concept makes sense, but I can tell you from ex- my wife's a teacher, and she's not going to want to change the Kelvin temps between the day. If it's automated, that's that's one thing. Right. It's and going to have to be automated for it to make and, sense. And Phillips's booth actually uh, drew a line, a direct line between tunable white and POE, which I, I guess, Mike, is a, is a whole different podcast. 
What's but, that? Uh, power over Ethernet. And I think that's definitely listen, coming. Listen, I've, I've know, written, guys, guys, I've, guys, I've read. Everybody, like, let's not drink the Kool-Aid here, okay? <laughs> Come on, dude. You're, you're never going to have any color changing. I'm going to tell it right now. In the next five years, there's going to be no 5,000K to 3,000K crap in your warehouse. That's going to be a hundred top 100 skew in the next five years. Okay, no about chance. It. All right. What I'm going to tell you is I'm going to ask you no a chance. question. I'm going to ask you a question to that because that was a pretty emphatic statement. bet you 100 bucks. I'll, I'm going to ask you a question. How many people do you sell truffles to right now that you're replacing T8 fluorescence and they're asking about dimming? Dimming's one thing. Dimming's okay. one thing. Well, Changing color is another the thing. The fact of the matter is, is that you don't know sometimes until you offer it what people want. And I've learned in my relatively short life that, that you, don't, you don't assume that you know what people want because there, there are many good companies. I think people, largely people want the best price and the highest rebate. That's what they want. Yeah, well, but I think I know what they want. I think it's getting to a point where light's going to matter, and that's what Robin's talking yeah. about. Is that and different people are going to want different lighting. Right now, how do you determine the Kelvin temp? You send them a, a color chart, say, "Hey, you, which cus- no, what you color do you want?" No, you do what they have there um, now, or so you do what they have. They don't complain. It's, that's once it. it's installed, that's it. But you yeah. know, if somebody comes in, how many times have you had a customer come back and say, "Oh, I bought four thousand Somebody comes to my one of the sales reps comes in and says, "I'm going to change the color temperature." I'm going to say, "Don't even think about it." Are they have they decided that they they want to? Have they asked you? No. And don't even bring it up. Just keep them what they have and shut the. F- hey. I, I would argue. I would argue that you're doing your customers a disservice by no, not by not offering the, the all the benefits. I think you're of, making it more complicated than it needs to be. No, because everybody doesn't have to buy everything that's offered. But if you have it and don't offer it, then shame on you. As a as a distributor, I'd that's say seventy five percent of our quotes are price comparisons to other contractors. That, that's other, fine. Other that's fine. And that market will not go away. I don't think it's. I don't think that's why I'm that saying. I think it's is, a niche market. Is, all I'm saying is displaced. I think it's niche. I'm not saying that Robin Watt shouldn't know about it and be able to just talk to his customers about it and Rock Greg Eric or whatever and teaching your sales reps to do it. I totally agree with all that. Look, my only position is that it's niche. Last year, last year somebody came and dropped a T5 LED replacement lamp on my in our conference room, and I had up to that point not ever been asked one time about T5 LEDs. Yeah, but one person did. And and no, I sell tons of them. Okay. You know, and I would have argued then. Yeah, but are that you changing the color? Market. Are you changing the colors of those? Not yet, but I don't but think it's here's what it comes. So technology is advancing, right? And as technology advances with everything, people want options. That's right. And now they have options. They're going to take the options. That's correct. And that's it, man. And, and so what's going to happen? You're going to have a troffer that's two by four, and you can stock it one skew. But you can give them all the options, right? But you're not going to be sitting there. Not going to be sitting there. You're not going to sell on the fact that they can change it. You're just going to match whatever they want. Or you can it. tell them that it will. And I'm you're going to right. take you up on that hundred dollar bet. So yeah. let's figure out how yeah. to make this. I, 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 right take now. right now. Uh, 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 I don't know what we just bet yeah. exactly. And I, but I think <laughs> something happened. We'll sort it out after. Okay. But Mike, I think I need you a, are, need a bucket of margaritas <laughs> up here. Come on, man. <laughs> I think you ignore that that uh, those trends at your peril as a distributor. I think I think you're missing my point. Okay, and I, I agree with you that, yeah, you got to have some tricks up your sleeve. Okay, it makes you better. I agree. Uh, and one of them is, you know, having Brady Nemeth on the podcast. He's a trick I pull up my sleeve. <laughs> there you go. No, but honestly, uh, I think that, yes, I agree with you. I don't think the large majority of applications are going are gonna to need to, are going to want to have color changing, dynamic color changing, let's say. Call it dynamic color temperature adjustments. I think Greg's right. Distributors, 
you know what? I had a guy walk in with a two by two panel where you could set it at 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 K, set it and forget it. No one's going to go change it remotely or anything like that. I, I don't think so. There, there are a lot of companies here that have very big investments in uh, who say otherwise in okay. tunable light. And uh, it'd be very interesting to see. I, I saw it, like I said, my, I, I only brought up the dimming of, of what used to be fluorescent trough as, as, a, as an argument, as, a, as an extreme to make a point. It's not even extreme, but the, the idea being that hair was an option that people did not have, and now it's being offered, so they're demanding it. You think it's, it's niche? I don't. Disagree. We're going to have to agree to disagree. But well, I'd what, agree with you, say. but we'd both be wrong. Here's what I'm saying. Because we may have lost the first bit of the podcast and... And so I just want to, you're the president of the National Association of Innovative Line Distributors? I am. I, I think that nail should sponsor this podcast. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're closer to that than, uh, than, than we were certainly before I came on. I think we're already the unofficial podcast of the National Association of are. Innovative Line Distributors. Uh, absolutely. And, and before I let you go, Brady, you're, you're in, just in case, we, you're an uh, emerging professional or emerged, we're not sure yet. I'm submerged, he's re-emerging. <laughs> <laughs> and he's transitioning. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the DLC's friend of the show, Brady Namus, a friend of our show. We were thinking Greg and I were is going to be the ambassador. I think is going to be the ambassador for Nailed to the DLC. Is that correct, for, President? For at least a year, yeah. I'm going to uh, run. Yeah. Over. He's going to be the ambassador. That's correct. You know, Greg doesn't like to travel alone. So I think he's going to bring some. We were thinking that maybe we would do a there's podcast no, from the DLC convention. What do you think? There's no way that I am paying for you and Eric to be in the same place at the same time. <laughs> That's just not happening. Fine. <laughs> but what else, here, let me ask you. Can, can we do a podcast at the DLC uh, uh, get together? I'm not a personally give the final go around but I'd, uh, I'd certainly pitch it would uh, you would you give the the host of the get a grip on letting podcast a free pass into the show that's not my call but i'll pass it along <laughs> all right well i had to check on you need, that. you need to get the you need to get the president over here like this guy uh, i'm just uh i'm just a lowly staffer <laughs> all right so okay we'll cut off the first session then guys unless you want to bring anything else up take a break get a drink i want to bring you back though you have to go again um, no i'm 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 out uh you're uh, out yeah okay sorry. all right well, uh, thank you for guys for coming on.